Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This is the Improv Chronicle podcast. I'm Lloydie. Now, I don't know if I'm allowed to do this, Boydie, but can I ask you a question? Yeah, go on. This is this is a first on the Improv Chronicle podcast. <laughs> it's not often people ask questions back in an interview, but when you're talking about the subject of support and how we quantify what on-stage support and off-stage support is needed in our art form, it raises a number of questions. I've spoken to a few people about support, and the word covers so much, so much, both on-stage and off. My first stop was with someone who shone a light on a lot of improv, thanks to their online presence. Hi, my name is David Escobedo. I've been performing and coaching since 1995, uh, which is well over 20 years. Uh, I started in San Diego, which was a rural area, and then moved to Los Angeles when I got an, an agent, and I started pursuing improv at that point. I now find myself in England. Uh, I just finished my MA in improv, where my thesis was on the improviser's voice is the most valuable thing they bring to the team and to the show. You are one of the most positively supportive people in the improv community that I've Thank ever you. come across um, in this utterly wonderful way. You raise people up, particularly on social media. You shine a light on their work. What does that offstage support mean to you? I think the reason why I've been so focused on support, and this is probably true for uh, many people that are driven by a certain engine, is that like... When I was younger, when I was when I was young, I didn't feel like I had a lot of support. And it's not for my family. My family was astronomical in their support. But I, I was a very lonely child. And so I know that feeling of being like the outcast or being on the outside or being the sense of the other. And so one of my, my goals or one of the big fuels behind me is I don't want other people to feel that way. Like I don't want other people to feel like they're too outside or they're too other or they're just not accepted or validated or anything to a certain degree. Now, I think there's a certain destructive means of support, which I'm sure we'll talk about later. But like when I see someone who's just entering the scene, my, my first initial thought is to make them feel welcome. Support is a very large term. Like it, there are so many elements behind that. So I, I guess what I'm, I'm really analyzing in that concept is just the concept of just being welcoming and open to other ideologies. Can we talk about your online work for a second? I mean, in person, you are the most positive, supportive person, but online, that also comes across. Um, tell us a little bit about the work you do online. 
I run the Improv Boost, and the Improv Boost is a company that, or an organization, it's not even a company, that's all about giving smaller improv teams and individuals a, a larger platform on social media. One of the reasons I started this was I noticed that there were large-scale companies, like the big names that we all know, the big schools that we all know, and they were predominantly the ones driving the narrative online of social media. And I had friends that I knew were just remarkably talented. I love seeing them on stage, but they weren't getting the same opportunities or they weren't getting the same visibility. And one of the things that is is destructive about not allowing others to break into the dominant narrative is the dominant narrative is then just controlled by what we've seen, which is white cisgendered males. And it's uh, uh, heterosexual white cisgender males. And then that narrative doesn't change because the people that have the history, that have the credibility are the ones that continue getting the stage time. That got me thinking. I checked in with an improviser who's been speaking out online and at events about diversity in improv. Hey, Amanda. I'm all right. I'm How are you? Lots of fun. <laughs> you are laden with lots of stuff. Did you mean apple ties by any chance? Hi, I'm Minda Korathwal. Uh, I've been improvising for five years now. I do various bits and bobs, but um, currently I am doing Tuprov with Honey Badger. And uh, I'm probably most known at the moment for talking about diversity in improv. What does support, kind of on stage and off, mean to you? So I guess in the world of improv, and I could be wrong, but I feel like most people agree, it's that feel-good feeling that you get you get with improvisers, knowing that you're all in this community, taking away that competitive nature that can sometimes come into other areas of life, particularly work. Obviously on stage, just no, just that comfort, knowing you're going out and having fun. I love that feeling of going, do you know what, I'm not actually stressing, I'm not too nervous about going on stage because I'm actually just really excited to play. So knowing that you've got support from people and that trust there. Uh, off stage for me, it's people um, giving me support in terms of, often for me, my, my personal work, my career, because it's linked to improv now, and uh, in terms of applied improv. And just knowing that when things seem a bit off or something seems to be going a bit wrong, knowing you've got people who've got your back and are willing to, you know, drop you a message every so often or just go, you know, when you're not feeling your most confident, give you the confidence and just tell you to go out there and fucking do it. So, I think people are told in improv, you've got to support, you've got to support, you've got to support that move on stage or you've got to support that person's shows all of the time. Um, where does support cross the line for you? Uh, for me, it was uh, on stage, it's the idea... You should be yes-anding everything. Me and John, when we do our two-prov, we will frequently literally just say, say no on stage, and that's completely fine because we're not blocking. And I think often, uh, my experience of learning improv, I was taught, whether it was intentional or not by the teacher, I was taught yes-and blindly. I went to the Global Improvisation Symposium earlier this year where Patty Styles did a talk called Impro Robotics. And there was a room of, I think there might have been about 40 people in that room from all different places in the world, and she asked everyone to put up their hand. She goes, who has been taught to yes and blindly? And I think all but one person put their hand up and said, yeah, we've been taught that and we all now know this isn't okay, but this is how we were taught. And so we did a whole session uh, that was based around the idea of actually saying no is completely fine. And uh, actually it's part of improv and it can make scenes, scenes really great. And yeah, I think there's been a lot of talk in America, the idea around uh, abusive situations where people have felt that they need to say yes and then because you've added in this whole idea that improv is a supportive community it's that much harder to speak out because everybody's lovely right we've all been told everybody's lovely and supportive so it makes things it makes things very difficult um i can completely see the attraction as well on the other side of like where you get told you've got this lovely supportive community and everybody seems nice but then as soon as you start running into slight problems 
uh, it becomes more difficult. And because you're not only being told this, that you're coming into the community, aren't we all lovely? You're being taught it in uh, workshops, you're being taught it in courses. So there is a danger, and I'm very aware of like, the cultish side of improv. Yeah, your, your mindset is being rewired. So uh, I think there can be a danger there. Hello. Hello, Vic. How are you? Hi, I'm very well. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Lovely to speak to you. (laughs) It's lovely to speak to you. Fucking hell, it's been years. Victoria Hogg, who teaches pure improv comedy as DDG Improv and applied improv comedy in diverse settings as the Offer Bank, thinks how you support on stage depends on where you are in your improv journey. There's a a really interesting um, qualifier. It's it's, it was first attributed to someone um, from 1969 where they're talking about teaching for learning, somebody called Martin Broadwell. Uh, thank you, the internet. Uh, I will have to trust in this to be correct. However, um, he talks about these four different levels, which are unconscious incompetence, whereby you, you don't know what you don't know and you can, you can be um, not wasting people's time, but you, you, you don't know how little you know. Yeah. And then you come on to um, conscious incompetence, which is knowing what you don't know. And I think that I think that a lot of us can find ourselves swimming in those waters literally for years where you're consciously incompetent and it's very difficult to feel like you are able to make the boldest moves or to be as supportive as you can be. This station is London to Pancras International. I wanted to chat to one of my teammates about what support means to her, so I tried to catch up with her at our last gig. Sadly, her train was not as prompt as mine, so we had very little time before we performed to actually speak properly. So you were late um, getting here. Um, have we got time to talk afterwards? I think we should do it another time when we're really chilled out and having a nice time. All right. Well, shall I give you a call? Yeah, let's do that. We'll do that. Hello? Hey, how's it going? Okay, how are you doing? I'm well. How was your journey? Rebecca McMillan is a member of the Maydays, along with me, and also a member of Impromptu Shakespeare in the UK. She's currently doing an improvised Dickensian show called Steamed. I've thought quite a lot about this because um, I've actually had two children, not one, but two human beings have been produced. Um, And so... It's uh, never been done before. (laughs) It's never been done before. Well, actually, it's been very, quite rarely done by improvisers. Um, And I think the reason for that is that the two lifestyles can be tricky to combine and um, it can be difficult. Improvisers expect a lot of each other and that's, you know, rightly so in a way in order to create the art that they do. Every person that you have that is a parent, (laughs) you should consider that to be a badge of honour that you've managed to maintain them within your company because it's it's, um, something I'm aware of that often people become become parents and then they kind of disappear from the improv scene a bit if it helps for your company to think of it as a diversity issue and certainly people like parents in performing arts which is an organization that as it says in the tin works on behalf of parents in performing arts they consider it a diversity issue and have done lots of reports and things about how companies can make themselves a better place for parents um you know, if you, if you consider it a, a diversity issue that there are not enough um, people becoming parents and then staying in the arts or people feel they have to choose between having a family and being an artist, like what kind of world is that? You can't watch everything, especially if you're a parent and have limited time. David Escobedo believes there are a number of ways you can support others. 
not just turning up at shows. Being supportive can look so many different ways, like taking it back to social media. It's free to share a post. It is absolutely free. It costs you no dollars. But there's very few people that share the posts of their own show, of their own team. That's being supportive of yourself. And some people don't take those actions. So I don't think it comes down to, do I go see an X number of shows? As long as you saw one show a month, I'm not mad at you. That's totally fine with me. Minda Athwell thinks that support isn't actually going to see shows that you don't like. Improv is more complex than that to her. Oh, God, uh, there's a lot of improv that I do not want to watch. Like, I know that's not popular to say, and we're meant to go, there is no bad improv, or a lot of people say that. No, there's a lot of improv that I don't enjoy, and I'm sure plenty of people have come to see me perform and have gone, mm, well, I wasn't that into it, and that's totally fine. Um, for me, I'm quite picky about it now. I think I used to go to... I go through phases. I'll go through phases where I see a lot, and then I go through phases where I don't see as much. Uh, I think there's a lot of things to consider there. Uh, for some people... That's how they love to spend their social life. They love to see improv. Uh, I do some of the time, but sometimes I get bored of it. I'm currently going through that phase right now where I'm often watching improv and going, technically, I can see that these people are very good. And some of them are like quite big names as well, like in the world of improv names that people recognize. And I'll watch and go, technically, I can see this is great, but my mind is drifting. I'm thinking about checking Facebook or I'm, you know, wishing I was sat at home in my big fluffy dressing gown because it's freezing out tonight. Um, and I don't think there's anything wrong with making the decision to just stay at home or to go and do something else socially. Uh, I recently saw um, Philem from Improbable comment on a Facebook thread where somebody was asking, I think, I can't remember the exact topic, but I think it was along the ideas of how to become a better improviser. And he just commented, do something else, which I really agree with. I'm like, this idea that if you only spend time, you know, or you spend a lot of your time with improvisers, you spend a lot of your time at improv shows, you're going to kind of have quite a, a, a much more narrow view. And I think we often end up potentially with more boring shows because we're all seeing the same things. Uh, but if I go out and I go and do a weird immersive theatre experience or I go and spend my evening doing something completely different, I'm gonna, it's going to make me more of an interesting person. I'm not an interesting person because I do improv. I hope I'm a good improviser because I'm an interesting person. Rebecca McMillan feels no pressure to see stuff but she does enjoy seeing new work. I don't feel like I have to do it. I want to do it and I feel it's important. Um, and I would rather do that and have the shared experience of being able to talk to them about their shows afterwards than to go and see some random thing. So I don't feel there's a debt there. There's no, you know, there's no obligation there But um, from them. But it's um, within me, I'm like, you know, they're my improv family or whatever and they're doing this thing and... Uh, I want to go and show them that they're important to me and to see the work that they've spent time creating because I love playing with them on stage and so I'm sure they've created something that I'll love. David also doesn't think being supportive is about supporting everything. If you have a team or you have... I've, this is, I've experienced this too, a, a smaller community in a smaller city that's actually doing sexist improv, that's actually doing stuff that's very gender discriminatory improv. If you just constantly support them, they have no impetus to change. If you blindly support them and share their stuff and go to their shows and blah, 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 there's no impetus for them to change. I think, and this is kind of a, a weird thing to say in a podcast about support, I think there's an, there should be an ability to fail at improv. I think that there should be an ability to go, that was not a good show. And this is a good example of like if a team was sexist and says horribly sexist things, you failed at improv. 
And you need to be able to do that. Otherwise, that team's never going to get better. And someone new to that city comes in and goes, oh, I saw improv and I went to this I went to this intensive and I loved it. Let me explore improv in my own city. And they might have an experience that they never go back to improv. So I, I think that that we can't enable, but we have to support. And enabling is like if you see bad habits or bad people or toxic personalities or whatever, you can't enable them to continue. Now, I don't know if I'm allowed to do this, Lloydie, but can I ask you a question? Yeah. Go on. This is this is a first on the Improv Chronicle podcast. <laughs> so you said, and this is actually something that I had made a note earlier, is if there's a team that does something bad, like makes a racist or has constantly racist material, whatever, and you said, um, if I don't go support the shows, and then if they ask me, why don't they support why don't you support your shows? And you tell them it's because you did you did something really discriminatory on stage. Do you think culturally or as a part of the community member that we have to wait to be asked to make that point? I think sometimes you need to call it out. And I think it's very difficult because calling something out requires an element of bravery, doesn't it? And sometimes you might not be in a place to be brave. Totally. I totally agree with that. I I, I just find that like, if someone's doing something that's discriminatory, do you speak up? Like, do I, do I, do I approach you first or do I wait till that person's like for months, keep on doing that toxic behavior and then wait till they approach me? Because I think sometimes support is criticism. Sometimes support can be like, Hey, I want to reach out to you to let you know that A, B, C, or D. If you're struggling with whatever, it could be because you're doing this pattern and that's support. Enabling is toxic support. Minda feels unquestioning support is dangerous too. And yeah, I think there's been a lot of talk in America, the idea around uh, abusive situations where people have felt that they need to say yes and then because you've added in this whole idea that improv is a supportive community it's that much harder to speak out because everybody's lovely right we've all been told everybody's lovely and supportive so it makes things it makes things very difficult um i can completely see the attraction as well on the other side of like where you get told you've got this lovely supportive community and everybody seems nice but then as soon as you start running into slight problems uh, it becomes more difficult. And because you're not only being told this, that you're coming into this community, aren't we all lovely? You're being taught it in uh, workshops, you're being taught it in courses. So there is a danger, and I'm very aware of like, the cultish side of improv. Yeah, your your mindset is being rewired. So uh, I think there can be a danger there. When you do support someone's show, how supportive you are afterwards is also a major factor in what we call support in improv. Victoria Hogg. Hannah Gadsby is really funny about feedback straight after her shows. And um, says, oh, yeah, that's when I'm at my most receptive. Where <laughs> really, my thickest skin is when, I, when I've just come off stage. And so, um, so, yeah, you have to be really careful not to be apparently giving uh, feedback that you think would be welcome, which, in fact, is, is really not um welcome in that moment so we're talking about feedback in this case about specifics that you might have been doing on stage i guess rather than simply hey i'm going to turn up for your show um go on what are you gonna that's say? such a good point that is such a good point because i think some people will go along to support someone and think they're being very supportive by giving them a mm. note straight after the show i noticed <laughs> yes. this happens and they do i mean i'm sure they think they're being supportive but they it do is- they do i'm so sorry i can't stay for a drink but i really th- i really noticed yeah. when you 
that you weren't quite yes anding. Yeah, so you like, weren't what? really yes anding. Yeah. And, and I really felt that that scene, the air went out of the balloon in that scene and you, you could have powered forward. Anyway, have a great <laughs> night. I'm, I'm going to have to get the bus. I like, what? I spoke so much to my guests. This podcast is around 20 minutes, but I spoke with these people for nearly three hours in total. It's hard to boil down the concept of support and improv. Here's some of the key ideas behind support that David Minder, Rebecca and Victoria had. It's all about giving these these other options, these other these alternative narratives that are out there, giving them a voice on stage. And I, I think that is support as well. Supporting diverse voices on stage is support for your community. And that's going to grow instead of having one dominant culture demographic that you're constantly hitting and constantly giving stage time to. Support and improv is about uh, love for improv and love for your fellow improvisers and also a little bit of love for yourself as well. Support, but don't let that support drain you. Um, it should it should make you feel good. So if at any point you feel like you're, you're being drained, that's not real support because uh, it's a two-way street. At our jam, off the top, every week, we invite our jammers to uh, and we don't use this exact wording <laughs> actually sometimes we do use this exact wording please don't be a dick so i think that that's what support means to me whatever it means to each individual in each different situation is a negotiation that each person is going to have to um discover themselves in that moment but i think if the overriding ethos is don't be a dick then everyone should have as much fun as possible and learn as much as possible in the moment. Next time on the Improv Chronicle podcast. Yes, and has been at the heart of improv and at the heart of how improv is taught for decades. There are books about it and the phrase is synonymous with the art form. More recently, it's been questioned. Some schools don't teach yes and at all. Has Yes And as a theory run its course, or is it still relevant to how we teach and perform improv? The Improv Chronicle podcast is produced and presented by me, Lloydy James Lloyd. Please subscribe and rate us on your favourite podcast app. And if you have an idea for a possible episode, get in touch via our website, improvchronicle.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.